Welcome everyone to Woodmont Baptist Church. I'm Nathan Parker. I am the senior pastor here at Woodmont. We're so thrilled to have you here and we are uh, about to witness something incredible. We have assembled an historic panel of some of the, is this the first time you've all been together? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You beat me to it. We have almost uh, all four, we have three of the four uh, Division I men's basketball NCAA program head coaches here with us tonight. Bryce Drew couldn't make it from Vanderbilt. He has had a family emergency, uh, just notified us uh, just a while ago, but uh, Casey Shaw, assistant coach uh, at Vanderbilt, is uh, pinch hitting, so he's with us tonight. Thank you, Casey, for he uh, was drafted in the NBA. You're going to hear more about that later, but uh, we are very blessed to have Casey with us. We also, uh, let me just say, if you want to know more about our church, we invite you to fill out the connection card in the pew rack in front of you. Just use that pencil, drop it on the pew uh, as you leave, and we'll come by and pick those up later uh, after you leave. You know, I love this city. I love Nashville. Nash Nashville has world-class chefs now, right? We have a lot of celebrities from the entertainment world. You can go down to Green Hills Mall and probably see some of them. And I know these guys don't like to hear this, but I think these guys are absolute rock stars in this town. Uh, I think they are the people who help make Nashville so special. I love college basketball, too. How many of you attended a college basketball game last year, a college basketball game in Nashville? Awesome, almost all of you, that's fantastic. It's a, a great town for college basketball. You went to a few, I'm sure. Uh, I love Nashville for college basketball, and I think it's a big reason why we have such great basketball as these guys up on this stage right here. It's a really unique time for college basketball in our city because all four of these programs that are represented tonight are led by men of integrity and character. That's my son, he's excited. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible is clear about the expectations for leaders, right? That leaders are held to a certain standard. The character alignment in our leaders must lead to great integrity because leaders have an impact on the lives of those around them. Leaders have a great, important um, responsibility as, uh, to develop their character according to the way God intends for it. I've had the great privilege of being around these programs in some degree. I'm a proud Belmont alum, and I hardly missed a home game while I was there, even when we had to play at Municipal Auditorium. I don't know what year that was, but uh, it smelled like the rodeo every game, I think, that year. Was that before you, Brian? Or? I was there. You were there? That was a rough year, but we, we went. We still went uh, almost every year. I think Coach Bird's office at that time was on the first floor of the religion building. Is that right? Fidelity? That's... It's so crazy that in the religion building was the head basketball's coach, but it was awesome for me because I was a religion major. So every time I'd walk in the hallway and see Coach Bird, I'd say, hey, that was a great game against, you know, Stetson or whoever we were playing back then. And, and I, he would say, really? And he, and he was always approachable and always kind. And, and I would say, you know, what was that 1-3-1 they were trying to run against? And he'd talk about basketball, you know, with me, which I, I appreciated he was willing to talk. And I saw Coach Alexander, of course, as he worked hard on the sidelines and, and at practices. I, I remember seeing him work hard and, and, and just really instruct those players. And now I'm graduating from Lipscomb soon with my doctorate degree, so I can claim to be a bison as well. And I don't have a degree from TSU, Brian, but I remember 
watching Coach Collins play at Belmont. We were at school uh, the same time, overlapped by two years, and I remember it seemed like you were always calm and always in control. I don't know if Coach Bird agrees with me. No, no. <laughs> I could see how, how Rick trusted Brian out there and, and how Brian could see the whole floor and he was smart. And I, I think I actually remember thinking that guy would be a great coach because he's a floor general. He's running things out there. He, and now he's the, the head coach of TSU, which is incredible. We were um, growing up in Nashville, of course. I attended Vandy games. You know, everyone in Nashville who grows up here, I feel like, goes to Vandy games at some point. And Coach Drew, I think, has brought an incredible level of character to this program now at Vanderbilt. Our executive pastor here at uh, Woodmont, Richard Dickerson, has had uh, season tickets to Vandy games for a long time. And he took me and my son recently to a, a Vandy game uh, uh, two seasons ago against Florida. It was the last regular season game, 2017, in March and they, they ended up winning by two. It was a crazy game, and my son was going nuts. And then as we were leaving, as we were walking out of the, the, you know, the Memorial Gym, we see Jeff Roberson, who had an incredible game and was a great leader that night, the most athletic player on the floor, I think, that night. And, and Richard's never met a stranger, of course, and he goes, hey, Jeff! And, and I'm like, oh, hey. And, and Jeff's like, hey, guys. And he walked over to us, and he looked my son in the eyes, and he shook his hand. And that meant so much. So we have a picture of that, Mark Landers? There it is. Yeah, there's Jeff and, and my son Jude. And it meant the world. He took time. He said, thank you for coming to the game today. Thank you for supporting Vanderbilt. And it just meant the world to me. You know, character counts, right? Character counts as long as there are children that are going to need to be influenced. Character counts as long as there are leaders who will have a profound impact on the lives of those around them for good or for harm. Character counts as long as cities and communities and nations need leaders who we can rally around and support together. Character counts as long as society is built on the foundation of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I didn't mention the esteemed Rudy Kalis who's on the throne there in the middle, which... <laughs> but again, growing up, yeah. If you grew up in Nashville, Rudy was a part of your day. He was a part of your daily routine. In my house, we watched the news every night, and of course, the best segment on the news was the sports segment. I remember one time in high school, Rudy flew in Air 4 to Franklin High School and, and landed near the field, and we're like, Rudy Kalis is here! And it was an amazing moment. Rudy, uh, he called me last night, he returned my phone call last night, and I was trying to be pastoral and professional, and then we hung up, and I, my kids were home, and my wife was, was, was out at Bible study, and I told my kids, Rudy Kalis just called me, and they were like, that's great. And as Rudy and I were talking about how the night would go, he said, let me introduce the coaches, because they're not going to brag on themselves, and I said, okay, but I'm going to introduce you. So let me introduce Rudy. When it comes to sports in Nashville, Rudy's an icon. Over his long and illustrious career, Rudy has had the opportunity to cross paths with some of the greatest names in sports history. Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Jack Nicklaus, Wayne Gretzky, Wilma Rudolph. He's won four regional Emmys for outstanding broadcasting and commentary. He won a National Iris Award for a locally produced documentary. In 2005, he was honored by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences with the prestigious Silver Circle Award presented for outstanding achievement in the field of broadcasting over 25 years. Rudy also has 
got 15 Associated Press Awards for Outstanding Sportscast in the state of Tennessee. He's been voted the best sportscaster over 25 years by various publications. He's in the Metro High School uh, Football Coaches Hall of Fame, and he's a member of the Nashville Speedway Hall of Fame. And you may have noticed that Rudy doesn't have a southern accent, and I didn't know this about Rudy, but Rudy actually sailed into New York Harbor as a five-year-old with his mother, father, and sister as immigrants from Germany with only uh, a small wooden trunk with all their possessions in it. They were issued $14 each and given a train ticket to Milwaukee where a Lutheran church had sponsored them and taken them in as refugees. When they moved to Milwaukee, they lived there for, he lived there for the next 20 years, which is why you're still a bit of a Packers fan, I guess. We can, we can let that slide, I guess. In 1970, he, he served his country uh, for four years in the, the U.S. Air Force, and then he returned to Milwaukee and went to the U uh, of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, got a degree in mass communications, got a job as a news and sports reporter in Green Bay, but the next year was offered a job as a sports reporter and anchor at WSMV Channel 4 here in Nashville, where he has worked ever since, which is a rarity in the highly competitive world of television broadcasting. He just announced his retirement last year after more than 43 years at that station. I know Rudy's a man with a powerful testimony. Uh, I know that he has a lot of good friends in this town, people of outstanding character. He's truly a humble person as well. He and his wife, Lee, have two adult daughters, Leah and Jennifer, and, and two grandsons. When he's not working, he plays basketball, golf, works outside. He's on the board of directors of Jason Foundation to prevent youth suicide. He speaks for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes a lot, and he has a, a golf tournament that he hosts for ALS every year. Thanks for being here tonight, everybody. Let's put your hands together for the great Rudy Kalis. Hey, anybody else? Anybody else notice the only guy they clap for is there the one go. that didn't lose any, hasn't lost any games? You know. <laughs> Easily debate. Thank you all very much for coming and good night. That's all we have to say. Uh, the only thing that I wish I would have been, I would have been a great basketball player if it hadn't been for poor coaching. So, uh, that, that, <laughs> I know, I'm supposed to, I'm in church, aren't I? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's right. This is wonderful. It's an opportunity and a delight to be with dear friends. I've loved sports. My high school yearbook, when I was a senior, it said my goal was to be a basketball coach. I got smart. I went on the other side of the camera so I could talk about you guys and not have to take the pressure. But it's been a delight to be all around. Listen, our panel is people that I really admire and that I care about, and we're just going to ramble and have conversation. On my far right, your far left, is Brian Penny Collins. He played for Rick Bird at Belmont. Coach, he was a head coach at Cumberland. And stopped other stops, but now the new head basketball coach went to White's Creek High School and is back to be the head coach at Tennessee State University. And next to him, my dear friend Rick Bird, who I for years used to watch coach, and I'd say, is he for real? Uh, you know, it just seemed like he's being nice and he's being considerate. He would get on players, but the, uh, it was just, I, I used to be amazed about that stuff. He has accumulated nearly, what is it, 778 victories. I think he doesn't care about the numbers. He cares about the people that he's touched. All those years at Belmont University, seven times to the NCAA tournament, and I have sat behind the bench and watched him work, work with players. Some coaches are coaches because players are pawns. They're X's and O's that they can use for victory. Others. 
build men for character if they're a men's basketball coach. Rick Bird from Belmont is one of those. Rick, thank you for being here. And to show you the work that Rick has done and how he has mentored people, on my far left is Casey Alexander, who uh, coached with Rick for many, many years, uh, and then now is the head coach at Lipscomb University. I was so amazed, I think it was 2013 in May, you became the head coach at Lipscomb, and who comes in the room, in the press conference at Lipscomb to endorse Casey Alexander but Rick Bird? from Belmont goes into Lipscomb to tell people you made the right choice, the right man. That's why he cares about people. And now he's got this program turned around. I went to, I'm sorry, I went to both Belmont Lipscomb games last year. I yeah, I know you were there too. <laughs> and Casey, they won twice. So that's gonna stand her up. They're all going out recruiting. So Casey Alexander from Lipscomb University. <laughs> and. And Nathan mentioned that Bryce Drew at a family emergency had to go. Well, he sent the right man. His sister's husband, he said. That's <laughs> Casey Shaw is assistant coach with Bryce Drew over at Vanderbilt. This young man played at Toledo, was drafted number 37, I believe, overall by the 76ers, right? So he played from the NBA, played in Europe, and coaching in his blood. And so Casey Shaw is here representing Vanderbilt, Bryce Drew, but has all the same character inside of him that Bryce would have had. Casey, so thank you for being here. Uh, I met. I may not throw this at all, but I'm always interested where people come from and what makes them do the things they do. There's a proverb in the Bible, 16:9. It says, in his heart a man plans his way in life, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. And I look at back at my life and I see things have done. Uh, Rick, if you'll allow for, for me to ask you first, when did you decide to be a head coach and why did you want to be a, co a coach? Rudy, you know that my dad was a sports writer in Knoxville for 40 years, and so I was, I was, he covered his beat, was Tennessee, University of Tennessee basketball, and so uh, I used to, uh, when I was eight or nine years old, I would, I would sell programs to the game, to the Tennessee games, uh, for 25 cents each, and, but, but I got to, when the, when the, the horn blew, I didn't have to sell programs anymore. If you sold Coke's popcorn, you had to keep doing it. And I, as soon as the horn blew, I would go and I would sit down under his seat. At that time, a press table was just a table. There wasn't any fancy signs or anything in the front of him. I sat down under his feet on the edge of the, of the floor and watched Ray Mears coach about six feet to my right and uh, watch Adolph Rupp on the other end if it, Kentucky was in town. and. Uh, it's just pretty hard not to be carried away under those circumstances. And, and uh, I'm sure that had a huge amount uh, in terms of what I did. Also, I, I don't know how many people are old enough in here to know, uh, uh, there was a series of books uh, written by Claire B., the, a great basketball coach at NYU back in the 30s. And, it was, and the, the main character was Chip Hilton. How many of y'all have ever heard of Chip Hilton books in your life? Everybody has gray hair, almost. Uh, and uh, I know one guy over there is good. Uh, but uh, but they, were, they were great books, and they were, they were all about what this is about tonight in terms of sportsmanship and caring about people. And 
Chip Hilton wouldn't even accept a scholarship to go play college. He worked his way through, and he was a four-sport guy. So it took him all through his high school years and all through his college years, and, and it had a tremendous influence on the way I looked at athletics and coaching in the way that it should be. Mm. Let me jump because your uh, first assistant, Casey, and asked from the standpoint, it's tough. You want to get you get in coaching, you and that's especially. I mean, nowadays, you, people instantaneously will tell you if you did good or did bad. Do you have to have a thin skin or a thick skin? I mean, I suppose. I think you learn quickly to, um, you know, to tune most of that out. You know, I think we're all people pleasers, and and for sure, the people that we surround ourselves with the most, you know, we want them to be happy and we want them to. Um, to be pleased with the job that we're doing. But, you know, for the most part, we, we want to show up and do our job every day and do the best we can to do it well and do the best we can to do it the right way and then trust that process will turn out the way that you want it to. And the naysayers along the way are the ones that want to offer you that advice that's not particularly welcome. You just smile at them and thank them and then you just kind of move on. <laughs> there you go. By the way, if any of you guys want to jump in on top of what somebody else has said, just, just get involved in that. You played for coach. While you were playing, are you saying to yourself, I, th I want to be a coach? And then why? You know, that's, that's interesting. For me, I, I really realized I wanted to be a college coach while I was at Belmont playing for Coach Bird. Uh, you know, like any young athlete, when you're playing high school basketball, college basketball, you want to be a pro. But around my junior year of college, I really realized this is what I really want to do. I really want to be a college basketball coach. And the fact that I'm a, I am a coach's son, my dad's a, a high school, he is a retired high school coach. He's coached over 40 years in Memphis, Tennessee, and here in Nashville, Tennessee. But just growing up around the game, I've always had a really strong love for the game of basketball. But once I got into college and really just started seeing that this is something that I can make a living for my family with and really have a job that I don't really feel like I'm working, then I knew this was the profession I wanted to get into. And when Coach Cy Alexander at Tennessee State gave me an opportunity to be a grad assistant uh, on his staff almost, what, 12 years ago, um, from that day on, I feel like I haven't really truly worked a day in my life because I've been doing something that I've been driven to do. I, uh, I, all these, by the way, they're all going to go off recruiting. This is a recruiting time for all of them to go some of the same places and watch players and such. Uh, when you look at play, I, I remember talking to Kermit Davis, who just left, uh, went to Ole Miss from Middle Tennessee State, and he told me 20 years ago that players, uh, it, it's, more, it's so difficult to coach players now because nowadays they have more swagger than ever before, but they're more insecure than ever before. You see any of that, Casey? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that um, in today's age, uh, what social media has done, uh, you know, in, in some ways the internet and everything has, has been helpful. Some of these kids can get out, they get more exposure, they get seen, they get more opportunities. But in the same, same breath, everybody sees everything. And, and so um, it's a different age. I mean, I certainly didn't have to deal with um, videos on YouTube, uh, you know, people downloading and seeing and, and, and worried about what I would post and things. I mean, we, we just never had to deal with that. So it's a different age. But to your point, sometimes when you're, uh, you know, recruiting young athletes, um, regardless of what they're going through, there's some immaturity there. And so being able to see um, some talent on the basketball court, but also recognize uh, some character in them, to recognize a player who, you know, is, is doing things that you think can help your program, like, you know, hustling to the court or giving their teammates high fives. I mean, coaches are looking at all those kind of different things uh, as we're watching and as we're recruiting. And I, I will say that, uh, 
it's still there. There's still a lot of great coaches in the youth leagues, at the lower levels, that are teaching these type of uh, 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 habits to their players. And so, you know, obviously for us, you know, being able to see that on the court and then recruit that and bring it to Vanderbilt is what really what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Let's bat this around where each of you will talk a little bit. And Rick, I'll ask you, the, the FBI had an investigation, you know, what, a couple of years ago now. Um, players being paid, getting them in. How do you go into a house? What do you guys tell parents uh, you want to recruit a kid and if somebody else wants to recruit them? I mean, how do you keep it above board? How do you keep your integrity through all this when you know somebody else is doing whatever they can to try to get that kid? Well, I think, I think you have to make good choices on the front end as you evaluate kids on the floor, off the floor, as you talk to them, as you watch them interact with their parents, as you watch them interact with teammates and officials and their coaches. And, um, and at least in, in our case, we just avoid those that don't do well in those areas. And then, and so then as we go into homes and talk to them or they come and visit our campus, um, then we feel like that we've got a good sense. And I'm not worried about, I think when you're younger and you coach, Brian, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the tendency is I can overlook this and I can overlook that and this kid will turn around and he made a mistake here. Uh, but really, uh, when you really know that that's, that's kind of who they are and so, the, the longer I coached, the older I got, the more I could very easily, even though it was a great player, overlook that and make choices on good basketball players that were good teammates, that were unselfish, that, that wanted a college education, uh, wanted the degree they were going to get, were fits for our school as a basketball player, as a teammate, academically, socially. And so it's... We found a niche, basically, in recruiting, and so we don't, I don't have to worry about going into home and wonder if somebody's paying this guy or doing this or doing that because we feel like we've already evaluated all that and that, that family wouldn't be interested in that. You know, for me, I, I've, I've actually had this conversation with Coach Bird before sitting in his office, and one thing he did mention was when we go into these young men's households is we want to tell them the truth. And so that when they do get to campus, there's not, there's not any surprises. Uh, but the whole thing about what you was talking about, about the you know, guys getting paid, if we go about our jobs worrying about that, we'll be stressed out the entire time. And for me, when I was at Belmont, we had, we, you know, Coach did a great job of recruiting young men that came from good places and you know, the research that they did on each student athlete, uh, we didn't really have that many issues. Uh, for me, I really got a whole nother doctor degree in coaching when I went to Columbia State as a junior college coach. And I had a lot of young men on my team that came from single parent households or no parent households um, and just really had struggled in life. And uh, most of the young men that we uh, coached when I was there, um, they, were, they weren't good students in high school either. So you had the one aspect of their family household and then you had another aspect of they weren't successful in the classroom. And so we, we really did, I had no choice but to coach those guys through their problems and hope, like Coach Bird said, hope I change that kid. And uh, fortunately, we had a lot of success with that. Uh, now, it doesn't happen for everybody, and everybody has their different recruiting philosophies. But for me, when I, was, when I had the opportunity to be the head coach in a junior college at 24 years old, I made a lot of mistakes. 
But in my second and third year, I was able to see like, okay, I got to coach this kid. I got to get this kid through this moment. And if I can get him to this next level, then I have done my job. And uh, one success story that I'll tell you about, I kind of two guys and I just tied them, in, tied them in together. I had one kid that was the worst of the worst as far as his background and family. And he ended up being somebody that had no offers to, by the time he left me, he was the number one junior college player in the country. And he went to play at Auburn University. And last year, he got his degree. But he didn't even get a high school degree. He graduated high school. He didn't graduate high school. He had a GED. But this is the same young man that, with, through his coaches and uh, me putting that character-driven mentality in him, he was able to not only get an associate's degree from uh, Columbia State, but he went on to get his, uh, his, uh, his uh, degree from Auburn University as well. So there's a lot of different cases from different kinds, types of kids but um, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And you know, for me, it was, a, it was definitely a learning process and something that I, I always cherish is my time down there at Columbia State working with those type of athletes. Um, in, you know, integrity is important. We talk about all of that sort of stuff, but uh, the, the fans, they want a winner, Casey. And if, if you've got a kid who's on that borderline, then uh, boy, he might be a great player, but I'm not sure of his character and all that sort of stuff. But man, I got to win. I got to get something going this year. How do you how do you do that? Uh, I think you. I mean, the main thing you have to do as a coach. I mean, for all of us, when we when we get a job, we have to identify what the we want the culture of that program to be, and it is different for all of us. Different places, different circumstances. That's one reason why it's so important to be at a place that you love to work and where you identify with the mission of the school and what that is. Um, and, you know, if you can establish that and you identify what you want your culture to be um, and your players can adopt that philosophy, then everything else is going to take care of itself as far as behavior and representation of the school and all the things that ultimately we're responsible for. Naturally, we have to win games, um, but winning games is also a byproduct of that. And that's, you know, culture is a word that coaches use a lot, and that's a really, that's a dynamic issue. That's not a, that's not a you know, that's, that's fluid. It's always changing. It's very important that, that your players, you know, can, verbalize what that is. Culture is not what you put on the wall or the sign on the door or what you say. It's what the people in your program do. And that's what we have to, that's the message we have to send uh, to our players on a daily basis um, so that they can give it back to us uh, on a daily basis. Any of you guys ever get anything, I guess, Casey, where you walk in somewhere and the kid says, yeah, I'd like to come, but here's what I need in order for you to, to get me. And you guys got any stories on that stuff? Well, I mean, we've all heard stories, I'm sure. But I, the, the, the thing for us, I think, is um, right from the beginning, you know, we try to be authentic and we try to be ourselves. And, and so um, a lot of times that weeds itself out, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, in those initial phone calls and those initial conversations with the family, with the, with the um, you know, youth coaches or whoever it might be, um, a lot of times you kind of get that vibe and honestly they eliminate themselves in a lot of ways because they're not, you know, as much as we may not click with them because they're looking for something that we're just not going to do, we're not going to cross that line. I mean, Coach Drew is very clear on, on, uh, on boundaries and so they get that impression from us and so honestly it, it, a lot of times if they're not getting what they're looking for then it, it disintegrates. Um, you know, in our case, 
Uh, we've had some success recently with, uh, with you just in our last recruiting class. And uh, so a couple of the players that we have are McDonald's All-Americans, five-star uh, players. And so it was, to be honest, it was our first time that we kind of saw that, you know, saw a side of that world where there were people trying to get in. Um, you know, there's a verse that I, that I love. It says, I think it's in Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I think about that verse when it comes to recruiting. If we can be ourselves, if we just trust God, that he's going to give us the players that he wants us to coach. He's going he's to lead those hearts. He's going to lead the guys that he wants to come in for us to mentor, to build into, and then to send off after however many years they're with us. I think that God ultimately is in control of that, and I trust him with that. And uh, there are years like last year where we were blessed with getting two caliber players that Vanderbilt's never had. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get guys like that again, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think, uh, but for whatever reason, the Lord blessed us with, with these guys and they're great kids, they're great character kids, they're from good families, uh, where education was important, where faith was important. And uh, when that came together, it just clicked with our staff. And so that's what we see with whether it's a five-star player or whatever, or no star, it's, it's, it's you, you get that connection, uh, a personal connection when you know it's the right fit. Really good. I know, I know for me, if somebody came to my office and asked me for some money, I'll say, son, get out. I barely got a Tic Tac to give you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how do, you, Cody, how do you guys handle social media? Because I've even talked, you know, with flying around high schools. I've been at a high school where a coach came up to me and said, we lost last week and the kid dropped the ball in the end zone. And it, his, the, the, the text that he got, they were just wearing this kid out. Almost got a death threat from a little town because he dropped the football. How do, you, how do you tell you guys to handle social media? <laughs> you know what that is, talking right? To the wrong guy. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you've yeah, got to be aware what, of that. You know they're looking. Here's what I think. I hear about people getting in trouble all the time because they tweeted something wrong. That, that's not happening to me. I'm telling you, I'm hadn't, I hadn't twittered anything. <laughs> uh, you know how to do it, though, right? I, don't, I do not know. Oh, okay. I, I can text. I can text. Okay. Uh, you know, I, it's, it, I think all of us would say it's a huge issue in our programs. It's a huge issue in the recruiting process. I mean, you, you used to, if you offered somebody a scholarship, they would be appreciative of it. They might tell their mom and dad. They might tell their best friends. Now they've got, they've got emojis. And uh, <laughs> is that the right word, Casey? It's good enough. That's good, good enough. enough. Close enough. For you, that's good. <laughs> For me, yeah. it's real good. Uh, <laughs> saying how blessed they are to receive a scholarship offer and they've got the picture of Lipscomb's gym in the background or Casey's face or something like that. Uh, and they're, they're bragging to the world about these things. And, uh, you know, I, I had a kid uh, that's going to be a junior this year uh, and great family. And when, when he signed, he signed at home with his mom and dad and his, they've got like six or seven kids and uh, that was it. They didn't, they didn't advertise it, they didn't tell anybody, they didn't tell when he got the offer. And to me, that dad and mom's teaching that kid a lot of good stuff, a lot of humility. And uh, 
I, I just, uh, it, it's changed a great deal, and you have to talk to your, used to we talk to your team, act right when you go out on campus, act right when you go into a hotel, restaurant, do all these things. Well, now you've got it. It's more important how you act on social media than it is how you personally act out in the world. But it's the same thing, and you have the same personal responsibilities, responsibility to yourself, to your teammates, to the school, to your parents, to say and do the right things in those platforms. Is that, I don't know if that's a good word either. Doing great. <laughs> Thanks. <You're> great. <laughs> Give me some thoughts, you guys, with your program. I mean, I think it's, you know, whether you like it or not, it is, it is a large portion of the world that they live in. You know, it's where they spend countless hours per day, um, and um, they're going to be involved, whether it's Twitter or Snapchat or whatever forms uh, that they can find. And so it is, you do have to, you know, you've got to tell them, you know, you, it's, it's very important. And you being a part of our team, you know, you're relinquishing some of your rights to just go and do and act and say and whatever you want to do, um, because we stand for something more than that. And so uh, be yourself. You've got some freedom. You can have it. You can use it. But you know, you need to understand that everything that you say, everything that you like, everything you retweet um, is a reflection of me and these coaches and these players and this administration and this university. And, and so you need to be mindful of that and don't push us. <laughs> Am I wrong? Or I think I talked to, to Bryce once. Uh, you guys are not, don't swear in practice. Tell me that thought. What's, what's yeah. that? And that goes for coaches, too. So I know. That's what he said. <laughs> we, we, uh, we have a no cussing rule. And, um, and if you cuss, you got push-ups. So, uh, you know, so, so there's, you know if, you, if, if it could be a coach or a player, you, you do. But it's funny. You know, when we came, when we took this, this job, when we came here, um, and, and Coach Drew, uh, in the first meeting uh, with the players, we, we came in. He was just announced the coach, and, and I remember uh, we went in the locker room, and we had all the guys there, and they're kind of checking us out, you know, like you know, who are these new guys coming in? And and, and I remember Coach saying, uh, you know, guys, we we we, we don't cuss, and uh, you guys aren't going to cuss in practice, and and you know, you you should have seen the looks, you know, it's kind of like they're looking at each other, like, okay, uh, that's not going to happen, but um, but it, but it's true, and 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 it's funny how that you know. Coach uh, talked about culture, and you know, and I, and I think Coach Drew does a great job of building a culture where guys who may be in the habit of using language like that begin to realize that you know that they don't have to, and that they can be coached in a way, they can be motivated, they can be pushed, they can be disciplined in a way, because um, we still coach our guys really hard. Um, but our philosophy is not to uh, belittle or degrade or have to cuss a guy out. And, and, and to be honest with you, to go back to kind of the recruiting, if we have to recruit a player, if we recruit a player that needs to be cussed out, then it's probably not going to be a player that's going to last long in our program because we need, you know, we look for players who are internally motivated and, and kind of have a, have a self-drive that, you know, when they make a mistake and they get corrected, um, you know, they want, they want to go even harder at it. They want to get, get after it. And, and when you have players that you need to just constantly ride, I don't, I don't know, I mean, head coaches here would probably have a lot more, uh, you know, uh, wisdom on this, but it just is really exhausting uh, as a coach. You just get exhausted trying to constantly motivate. Um, 
And so, uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's twofold. One, it, it, you know, for us as believers, you know, we're not going to use that language. But number two, just from a coaching standpoint, I mean, if you take your faith out of it, just from a coaching standpoint, I think it's exhausting to try to ride guys all the time. And I see, you know, some coaches use that to do, uh, but it just seems really tiring to me as a coach. So I, I like having players that are self-motivated in that way. There's a real fine line to walk there, um, you know, because people do come from different backgrounds. People have um, different opinions on different things. You have a lot of players in our program that probably came from two-parent homes and they're believers and they've been church their whole lives, but you, but you may not have that. Uh, and so, you know, I think what we're talking about here is just the dynamics of building a team. And, you know, for us, that comes from a faith-based perspective. Um, but, you know, when we carry that message to our team, it's, you know, all of us have to lay aside some of the things that are important to us or maybe even that we believe in a little bit and we have to adopt the message of the team and what we want this team to reflect and who we want to be. And ultimately, that's our responsibility is to kind of cast that vision and, um, and see if it spreads. Oh, yeah. You guys really, I'm sorry. No, so I, I, I wanted to add one thing to that, and that, and that is that I, I think that way too often in our world, um, coaches have forgotten that they're part of the educational process of, of the young men in their program, um, and, and literally any other group of students that are interested in your program, we all are, I mean, you guys both have football, but men's basketball is certainly the most prominent sport in our two schools and at least at least second in, in yours his. if if not in his in, in his <laughs> so uh, I, I i think that there's a lot of people that look at our programs and we set standards and um the question i always ask about it is if we're, we're part of an educational so is it okay for the English teacher and math teachers at Vanderbilt to use profanity to teach their classes. And I, I, Vanderbilt might be kind of a liberal school, but I, <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't think it's commonplace, and I don't, it certainly wouldn't be accepted in most schools that I know about, no matter how the world's changing. And so I don't see why a coach can if, if a math teacher can't. I frankly don't. And I totally agree uh, with the part about it, you, I mean, you, you don't, John Wooden had a pretty good record, and he was about as soft-spoken and, and lack of profanity as anybody that's ever stepped on a basketball floor. Uh, a lot of good coaches have been that way. It's just not required, it's not necessary. And, and if you use it, you're teaching kids that it's okay. And it's, it's not okay, I don't care how old you get, and, and a lot of us in here have heard about everything you can hear, but it doesn't make any of us look better or sound better or and so it just, it's, you're teaching kids the wrong thing if that's the way you're going about coaching them. And uh, I, I, I agree that, it, that there's kids that, that come in and they, they're used to this. To some people, profanity is just as common as A, B, and C in our language. But it's, it's also okay to say, you can't do it here. You can't do it. And then maybe they do end up learning and it's okay. That, yeah, I don't have to do all that stuff uh, to be cool. Most of it's cool because, the, uh, because their peer group does it all the time. 
for, I'm going to say for perspective, though, I mean, we're flying out tomorrow for the last of our recruiting weekends, and we're going to watch 90% of the coaches that we're going to see tomorrow um, are not paid coaches. Uh, they're just coaching AAU teams, and they're coaching high school kids, and they're going to use severe profanity, and they're going to act completely unprofessional. And so that's, that's the model for a lot of these kids. And um, like it or not, even the best ones might be playing for a coach who that's the perspective that he takes. And it's, it's the culture of our game for sure. Uh, basketball in general, that's the culture of basketball. So it can be a real challenge no matter how you're trying to do it. It can be tough. Do you guys at all literally think about the fact that you're building guys for you know, 10, 15 years from now that, that you're somehow instilling something into them. I, I would imagine that one of the reasons you're a coach is because of what you saw in the example in your coach and Rick. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to gas them up right now, but <laughs> there are a lot of times. <laughs> Go ahead, okay. There are a lot of times in practice I say, what would Coach Burr say right here? <laughs> I, I pressed Paul. I'm reading, I read Urban Meyer's book, Above the Line Training. If you never read it, I, I, I advise you to. But I press pause and sometimes uh, the Lord's not done with me yet, everybody in here. So sometimes I'll be, I'll be ready to say, and I'll just press pause. And I think about, what will Coach Bird do right now? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, Bob? <laughs> tell, tell them what Coach Bird did when you showed up late for the video session after the Air Force game when okay. you were a freshman. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about that story. <laughs> no, he, uh, that was the most... Butt chewing I ever had in my life, probably. Hey, he wasn't. He wasn't saying. Prof he wasn't using profanity, but yeah. he was thinking. Well, it I'm, I'm the whole tell, time, I'm, he was thinking. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. This is, since we have, we're gonna tell the truth today. Coach, it's true. Coach Bird, he does not cuss. Okay, he does not curse. I've never heard him say a curse word in my life. But what he will do will make you feel even worse than, <laughs> than it feels to get cursed out. So that's cool and all, but things a little worse. But no. No, but coach, but, but no, honestly, no, honestly, there, there's been plenty of times where there's a decision that I had to make that would, would truly be based off how I was treated as a, as a player playing under Coach Bird. And there will be times, even more than that, there are times that guys would have a response to something negative that happens that I would say to myself, I never, I never did that to Coach Bird. And that would make me feel okay to challenge that guy to be better because of what, how we did things and our culture was built at Belmont. And that's kind of been the same fabric that I've had throughout my coaching career on, on, on playing under this guy right here. Mm. By the way, uh, we, we want to invite you to, if there are anybody that has a question from, from the audience, I should have said at the beginning, you might want to mull a thing or two and we'll do it. I'll ask another question or so, maybe at that. And then if anybody has a question, Please, so that you, we may not be talking about things that touch you personally in that regard. I wanted to ask you, Casey, uh, a lot of stuff. I mean, I, again, I look at that FBI probe, what they say about college basketball, and Rick Pitino's lost a job, and, and assistant coaches trying to look better themselves by bringing in recruits, and there's Adidas, and there's Nike, and there's all this sort of stuff. Uh, I know you got to be ambitious. You want to be a head coach sometime. How do you balance that and not try to bring in somebody that'll make you look good and twist things and you know you know i think that for for a lot of coaches especially in my position as an as an assistant coach 
you know, there is ambition and, and you know, you, you have a career progression that you hope for and, 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 and want to shoot for. Um, I mean, I want to be sitting in, in one of these seats. Uh, you know, I don't belong here. I feel uh, very humbled up here to be with these guys and, and obviously I'd love to be where they are at some point. But it kind of goes back to your last question of, of um, are you preparing players for 8, 10, 15 years from now? And the reason I got into coaching to begin with was because as a player, uh, as a former player, as a former college player and a former professional, the biggest influencers in my life have always been coaches. The people who have molded me and shaped me into the man that I am have been coaches. In fact, um, I want to point out uh, there is a head coach in this uh, building that's had an incredible, incredible impact on my life for the last 23 years, and that's my uh, father-in-law, Homer Drew, uh, who is sitting uh, right over there in the front row. And uh, yeah, Homer, uh, Homer is a, is a legend uh, as a coach. Um, but, uh, but he's even a, a, a big, bigger legend uh, as a mentor, um, as, a, as a father, father-in-law. Um, he's had a big impact on my life. And, and, and I would just say, you know, he, he's the one where it started with, um, you know, the no cussing rule and, uh, you know, building a culture, both for his boys, uh, Bryce, Advandi, and Scott, who is the head coach at uh, Baylor University. And he kind of set that stage. He comes from an era where, like Coach Bird said, where coaches are educators. So to answer your question, yeah, we see that. In fact, this year, um, you know, we've, it's been out in the public. Uh, I will admit that the FBI probably helped us a little bit here at Vanderbilt with some recruits uh, because, uh, you know, it turned off some, some recruits who looked at it and said, you know what, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And what I've seen is kids are starting to be a little bit more sophisticated. I don't know if it's the NBA who's, who's educating kids earlier and doing a better job of, of teaching them about how to make why, better decisions. But, you know, I think that kids, there's some kids that are in that limelight, those top echelon kids who are looking at it and going, you know what, this is, there's more to this. I want to think longer. Um, I, I want to think bigger. Um, I want to think even outside of basketball and what basketball can do for me. And uh, so, um, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, with all of this that's going on, it's good to bring it out into the light, and I'm hopeful that the culture of basketball is, is, is changing and, and, and some of that stuff is going away. Wow, good stuff. Any questions? Anybody got something that, that are we, uh, we got microphones or something? There we go. He's going to run all over. Hey, in the back of the room, a couple of folks there. Any one of you can take this, or maybe all of you, if you just want to give a short answer. Uh, what is something you either do or would like to get involved with your kids off the court to help build that character and send them further? We've heard a lot about the character you want to see with them coming out in, but at the end of the day, you're a big part of their lives going out wherever it is they end up. Uh, take it from there. I'll go first. Um, here recently, since I just, just received the job, obviously, in March, so <clears throat> our guys are back on campus doing summer workouts and they're going to class. So one of the first things we talked about is deserving to win. And I made a joke in the locker room. I took them to the toilet bowl, to toilet area, and we had napkins and tissue paper just on the ground where they just didn't throw it away. I said, loss, 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 loss. And I told them that we have to deserve to win. You have to take care of your locker room for us to deserve to win. So on every Sunday, 
um, our team, we have Sunday cleanups. So we go over to departments and they have to make sure, I have to make sure the rooms are clean and everything has to be spick, spick and span clean. But then after that, we go outside in the apartments and we pick up trash just for the community of the area, just to kind of show them that it's bigger than just us. We want to show people in, on TSU's campus that you know, we want to be uh, a big part of this community and show them that we, we want to deserve to win. So that's just one small thing, but I'm just kind of letting them know that, you know, it's, it's about you know, doing things the right way and showing people that we're going to be better than just basketball players. Anybody else? Um, for us, we do, we do a team time uh, before every game, so it's kind of like a chapel. Um, but in those times together with our team, it's before games and then we'll do it at different times during the summer and, and uh, you know, we, we sit down with them and we have, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's a little bit more motivating, you know, getting ready for the game, but we always use, we use scripture to, uh, to teach because um, for us, uh, you know, I think that there is um, the principles of the Bible work. They work for, it works for life. It works for marriage. It works for winning basketball games. And, uh, you know, and so why not use the scripture to, uh, to instill that into the guys on your team? It builds unity. It build, you talk about building character and, and uh, togetherness and selflessness. Um, you know, those are the type of lessons that, that we want, and, and we see guys impacted. Any that. pushback from the university? I mean, you're a public university. They don't mind? Well, we're a private university. Well, private, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we're not, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we, that, that's not a, a public display. Um, and, of course, it's optional, you know, so one of the things that Coach Drew makes very clear to our guys is that it's optional. And, and to, to be honest with you, we've had... Um, a player or two who chosen not to come, which is completely okay. You know, we want guys to come on their own terms, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. We really have a great time together with the guys. It's real. Sometimes it's a little bit raw and it's good. It's life lessons. And, uh, um, you know, we've just seen a closer unity and togetherness from having those times. And, 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 and in those moments, we can talk about marriage and family, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a godly husband and a productive citizen, you know, all of those things we can talk about that don't have anything to do with X and O's. Oh, that's good. There was another question, I think, in the back from that gentleman. Oh. Am I on? Oh. Uh, thank you for coming, coaches. I, I uh, was kind of curious if you guys had conversations with your uh, student uh, athletes about um, uh, kind of keeping grounded uh, as people on campus kind of treat them as celebrities, as uh, they start to see their own news clippings, as they start to get attention from uh, professional teams, uh, just to kind of keep them on the ground, if you guys have those conversations with them. I think these guys can answer that for me, probably. Um, uh, I, th I think that's a great point, and uh, our guys need to understand that they are absolutely no better than any other student walking on that campus just because they're taller or jump higher or run faster or shoot threes better. Maybe if they shoot threes better, they're a little better. <laughs> but uh, it's... 
I don't think anything upsets me more than, than guys walking around acting like they're a Belmont basketball player and that gives them some sort of a, of a leg up on somebody else. And, and uh, these guys will probably know who I'm talking about, but maybe the angriest I've ever been uh, was when one of our players drove over to the curb event center and used a handicap sticker to park close to the facility so he didn't have to do whew, I don't even I'm getting angry thinking about it it and wasn't me just so everybody knows <laughs> no it wasn't Casey do you remember do you remember who it was okay okay it wasn't Casey it wasn't Casey either we'll just say that but but that message all the time and maybe to just sort of add on to what you all were talking about what all of us I'm sure and Brian will do it too uh, our teams are asked to do a lot of different things in the community and and I think we all jump in there and our players uh, I think actually enjoy it at least once they get out there and do it uh, uh, we started at Belmont now everybody does it every team and a lot of we started a long time ago uh, helping move-in day for the freshmen when no, no one else did it. So we'd meet cars and carry the stuff up and to the dorm rooms. We still do it. Uh, I don't, they have to get their stuff out when they leave. I don't know who helps them then. But, uh, uh, but, but I think more importantly, it, it's, what, it's the way you are every day. And one of the very favorite texts, and I do, I do text, that I got from Casey, that I've ever gotten, period, but got it from Casey, was when he took the job at Stetson in his first road game, and he, he may not even remember this, but he sent me a text saying, don't slam the doors in the hallways, pick up all the trash off the bus, uh, all the different little things that he was saying to me that he learned and appreciated and was gonna continue to do when he was the head coach at Stetson. So I think it's, your, I think it's what you tell your team daily and the way you act. We don't wear headphones when we walk into gyms or restaurants because I think that's rude. Uh, we want to leave the locker room better than we found it when we walked in there. Um, it, there's, there's so many things that you can help teach kids just by what you say on a daily basis. And uh, again, that goes back to we're part of the educational process. Mm, wow, great. Question, Wayne in the back. I just want to know, uh, you know, your guys are some great coaches. How do you train character systematically? I mean, what I mean is you see a lot of kids, you know, they, for basketball, they go into all these camps, you know, learn agility drills. Everything is system. They know all that down pat. I mean, how to work on their skills, their basketball skills. But when it comes to character development, is any type of curriculum or system of training y'all have where they can collectively, you know, you know, grow in that? Or do you believe that character is just something you develop organically? Well, I'll say this. For, for us at TSU, um, we actually have a character coach okay. who meets with our guys once a week. Uh, his name is Delvin Pikes. He's really good. And besides that, we just constantly, I mean, for me, I mean, it's a 24-7 teaching point. Right. Every chance I get. Right. Uh, I can tell you a story right now. Two weeks ago, we had a guy, and if this guy was on Coach Burr's team, he probably would have kicked him off the team first day. But he, similar situation, on campus, got a, uh, you know, it was a guy playing a hacky sack, and you know, joking, like laughing, like make a joke about him. And mm -hmm. 
So I brought him in the office and I explained to him that, do you realize that he thinks basketball is stupid? And it was like, it was like groundbreaking to him to see his face just like, I'm not cool. <laughs> like, no, some people think you're not cool too. <laughs> like, and he just couldn't believe that I was telling him that. But for us, you know, it's every day, every day, constantly, constantly teaching guys and putting, te- having, having points in practice, every pre-practice that we have a quote that we do, a different quote every other day. But for me, we have a character coach. We meet once a week. I'm in there a lot, but I think it's going to change our guys' mindset when it comes to stuff like that. Casey? I mean, the, um, you know, the best teams are always player-led. Okay. Uh, and anytime you've created, again, I use the word culture, anytime you've created a culture where, um, where the expectations come from within, then that character development happens naturally uh, and over time. You know, it's for all of us, it takes time to learn how to make the right decisions and to execute those decisions and so forth. But you want positive peer pressure among your team. Um, you want problems to, to be taken care of within yeah. the team. Uh, and that, that's, why when, that's why when coaches get jobs, that's what we mean by it just takes time. You need to get your own players. You need to, you know, because those things, those, whatever it is that you believe in and whatever you're trying to implement into your program and into the lives of the players that are in your program, you know, they've got to they've accept that and adopt that and own that uh, for, you to, for you to have ultimately what you're trying to get. It can take on different forms, but um, that's what we're all trying to accomplish. I would just, you know, add, you know, just, you know, I'm from that old school way of, you know, having the older guys kind of set the tone for you. But we know this, you know, new age is kind of different where it's, it's more, it's like they, it, you can't assume that they already know just from the different backgrounds. So it's, it's almost like, just like you see them go to all these different, you know, gurus and these different type of, passing camp, 707 football or basketball drills. It's like, is there something out there that's like, hey, characters is important because I know if I put you through a drill, character is going to be on your mind 24 hours a day. Before, when my age group, that was just assumed that that's just how we walked and that's how we act. But, but nowadays, kids have to be put in a system where I'm going to make sure this thing is on your mind all the time. I'm so a, is there a curriculum out there that can introduce, you know, our youth into that system of these are the things you need to think about and this is how we want to train you so this will be a part of your life? This is just from my perspective because I've worked with, with kids all my life as well. So just want to know from you experts. I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say curriculum, you know. Okay. If I were looking for the curriculum, then I would find it in buildings like this. That's the curriculum I would go to uh, to find the right behaviors for um, and character traits that we all want. Uh, mm. Putting yourself in the right places is the best way to be influenced by positive people that are around you and for you to be able to adopt those characters, characteristics that you want. I'll use Brian. I've used Brian many times in my life talking about his experience at Belmont. Um, Brian you know, came in with some different circumstances than a lot of the guys on our team. Brian had to learn the culture of our team. It didn't happen overnight. 
It wasn't instantaneous, but we had a group around him that loved him well, taught him well, accepted him, and he left Belmont as one of the guys that probably appreciated his time there as much as anybody that ever played at Belmont. And um, that's a perfect example of, you know, of how that transition can occur to me. Any other questions? Time for one more. We've done it. Oh, okay. One more question, Nathan. All right. The lady in the back there. Now. My question is very short and sweet. But what has been one of the most unforgettable games for you as a player or coach? Uh, did you repeat the question? For what was it? the most unforgettable game as a player or coach? Okay. Question. Let me go first. Sure. For me, for as a player, without a doubt, was when we beat Lipscomb. <laughs> <laughs> but but Casey was a part of it. It's uh, my senior year. Uh, obviously, you know, the goal was to get to the NCAA tournament, and we hadn't we have not been as for, as a university. And it was my senior year, we played Lipscomb in the championship game of the ASUN tournament down in Johnson City at East Tennessee State, and we beat them in in overtime. And uh, that was the, um, we ended up going to the NCAA tournament first time in NCAA history. And that was, without a doubt, my most memorable game. Can you remember anything? <laughs> I just, <laughs> you live in the moment. You live in the moment. <laughs> you know, that, that game is, is you know, the reason that the Belmont Lipscomb games are memorable and that they make the list at the top are, is because it's such a great rivalry and it matters so much to both schools. Uh, and uh, I've said many times, because it's true, our program wouldn't be where it was if Lipscomb's program wasn't where it was when I came here in 1986. They, they had just won a national championship in the NAIA we had to get awfully good to even be able to be on the same floor with them in those days in small college and then the, the program grew from there so I would say I would say there are two games one of them how many do you get can I oh, I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you three Lipscomb games all right the first one was in in my third year in 1989 Lipscomb was 38 and one uh, and we went over to their gym in the semifinals of the NAI district tournament, which is state tournament. And uh, Joe Bailing scored 58 points, and we won, I think, 103 to 98. And uh, and beat Lipscomb, came home and beat Lincoln Memorial University, where I had left to come to Belmont, and went to our first NAI national tournament in the history. That was one. The second one was a loss to Lipscomb, but it was such a memorable game but because we, uh, the next year we had everybody back on both those teams, almost everybody back. This is 1990, 89-90 now. And they, uh, the, the uh, forerunner to the sports council, whatever it was called then, yeah. wanted to have the game at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Oh, what a well, game. I'm going to, I'm going to, throw off on Coach Meyer a little bit, but he wasn't about to he wasn't about to to lose his home game. And that was the date that was free at Memorial Gym. So they came to me and said, Would you flip dates and take your home game away? I met with our seniors, uh, one of whom was Scott Corley, who's now our athletic director, 
and they said they'd give the home game up if we to go over there and play. So, so they sell general admission tickets to that game, uh, and they sold they sold too many. They sold over sixteen thousand tickets for a small college basketball game. They turned people away at the door. Fire marshal shut the place down. We held Lipscomb to 124 points. <laughs> got, got beat 124 to 107. Uh, but it was an unbelievable experience to be in that game. I think, Casey, if I remember, weren't you all playing a high school game and y'all ran over there late to try to see yeah, the end we, of it? I was a senior that year. We played at Stratford High School and zipped out of the locker room and got over there for the second half, yeah. They let you in? We yeah, we found a way. Found a way. Yeah, I bet. Uh, so that that's the second one, and then and then the third the third Lipscomb game. Uh, I mean, there was just there was just nothing like, in case he just experienced it as a head coach, nothing like winning winning the conference championship and going to the NCAA tournament for the first time. And the fact that it was Lipscomb. Uh, in Johnson City, but our, our big time rival, and to be an overtime game, um, it just was that one's hard to beat. So that's that's three. Uh, sorry for that's all. Hey, I've coached a long time. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Casey? Oh, it's a great question. I, I was trying to think here. I mean. Our first year at Vanderbilt was really was was actually really special. We uh, you know we started the season and struggled and uh, um, it was hard. Uh, but we ended up the season and I won't point to a specific game, but I, I will say that just finishing the season, I think we won nine out of eleven games to get to the NCAA tournament. But the special thing about it, and this is what a lot of people don't don't know, um, our seniors, uh, Luke Cornett, Nolan Kressler. Uh, the way that they came together, and, and, and so my, my best memory isn't a specific game, but it actually came in a moment where our team, we were having a team time, and I just remember Luke um, talking to our guys and seeing, and maybe some of you watch Luke Cornette plays with the Knicks now, and he was actually just in the gym working out this morning, so I got to see him, but I just, I, I love that kid, I love his heart, and uh, you know, it's just something special when you see a, a senior like that just kind of come into his own, have that type of leadership, bring guys where they just want to rally around him. And uh, I mean, it just, you know, it's just one of those things where you just kind of sit back and you're like, this is awesome. Like, this is why I'm coaching. This is, this is what makes this so much fun, seeing these guys come together to do something special that they're going to remember the rest of their lives and look back on. It's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. He's a pretty neat guy, got a great sense of humor. I love his mother as well, working with us at Channel 4. Casey. Uh, all of us appreciate those moments more than any of the general public realizes, uh, players and coaches alike. Those are the things that all of us carry out um, into the rest of our lives with. Uh, but if we're talking about games specifically, definitely the one that they mentioned. I've never had a feeling before, during, or after a game uh, like that 2006 game. Um, conference championship. 1A would be what we just did this past season by winning our first, but entirely for me because I know what that first time felt like, and it was really rewarding to see other people close to me have that same experience. Hmm. 
Well, listen, we thank all of you for spending some time. You have to realize that this is also recruiting time, and they're all, they're headed off to go somewhere, but found time tonight to come and spend some time with us. So, uh, Nathan, I thank all of you for being here. This is why I love being around them. I spend more time in all the years that I was here just watching and listening, how we handle. That's what I was amazed with, was the consistency of how Rick always handled his players. I think character is defined by consistency over time. And then to remember Brian is a player, and Casey is a coach and player as well, and see that same character. And then you can just feel it from this Casey Shaw coming from the Vanderbilt program. We're fortunate. There's a whole world out there that wants to do it, perhaps in a different way. But in this community, we've got men of God doing it the right way. So Nathan, thank you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see real quick. I know these guys hate standing ovations because they're so humble, but uh, this is this is good news, right? In a world that's full of bad news and where people say that character doesn't matter anymore in politics or in business or anything else. This is really special and unique to have four programs like this in our city. I'm so proud to be a Nashvillian. I'm proud to be a Belmont and almost Lipscomb alum. I'm proud to, to go to lots of games. I can't wait till November now to see all you guys play. Uh, I'm going to go to as many games as I possibly can. And let me just say that when you need some good news, this is a building, Casey, where, where we do talk about good news. And let me just say real briefly that the best news that we have is that Jesus Christ uh, came to earth, died for us, paid the price that we couldn't pay for our sins, and that that offers us a free gift of salvation that God has forged for us. And if you want to know more about that, I invite you to come back here at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning and hear more about Jesus. If you want to uh, fill out a visitor card, again, a connection card in front of you, drop it on the pew on your way out and let us know uh, who you are, your name, your number, your, your, your email address, and talk more about Jesus, that'd be great too. Or if you just want to grab someone with a name tag, uh, Rachel, who asked that great last fun question, she's our children's minister, so, and, and she played a little ball. She could still destroy me, I'm sure, out uh, in our back parking lot. She played it at Brentwood High School. So uh, if you want to grab one of us with a name tag and just talk about Jesus, we'd love to do that. That'd be awesome. Let me just close this with a word of prayer. Is that cool if we dismiss with a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this town, for this time, for this season that we're in where we have such men of integrity that you have called to lead these programs during this time. God, we pray that you would continue to bless them, that you would guide them as they not only seek to form the character of the, the men who are entrusted to them, but as they set an example for the rest of us in our community. I pray that we would rally around them, that we would pray for them, that we would uh, that you would protect their character, their integrity, as they seek to lead others into the ways of character and integrity. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the best news of all, that Jesus Christ came to earth to take our place, to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay, so that we could be made right with you, so that we could be made whole, so that we could be restored and healed completely. We love you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight.